0: Hello, Internet. My name is Walter C.A.D.'s Fedchuk, and welcome back to the Final Cut Podcast, presented by the Rough Drafts Podcast Network. It's really been nice to get back into the swing of things and, and, you know, play some video games, watch some movies, get the kind of creative juices flowing again. As we head into the holiday season, uh, I know we're certainly going to try our hardest to to maintain the content uh, as uh, as vacations and holidays and family time all happens and i think we got a couple of good ideas uh, going into the end of the year and then starting off into the beginning of 2023 and i can think of no one else that i would rather have by my side than chase redshirt king wasner chase how are you doing on this lovely november day
1: You know, I'm doing pretty well, actually. I am uh, getting into kind of a groove right before I go to visit off my uh, parents in Colorado for Thanksgiving, which is going to be a really nice time. Uh, I finished up the game that we're going to be talking about on next week's Steam Cleaners episode, which should be fantastic. Um, And I'm just, you know, right now trying to enjoy what modicum of fall that Los Angeles has for us. It really feels like we're going straight from a heat wave into winter. And I just want to hold on to like a week of fall. And this is the one chance I might get for it. So I'm going to try to enjoy that as much as I can.
0: So Chase, when you go to Colorado, the white stuff on the ground, that's called snow. What? I know I know you're a southern boy, and now you're an L.A. guy, so you really don't get to experience it. We actually had our first snowfall last night here in upstate New York. It was wonderful. Mm. It was great. Um, by the time I went out to, to go run some errands today, because it is a day off for me, uh, I didn't have any snow left on my car. But apparently this morning, there may have been a little bit to brush. So the white stuff, it's snow, it's cold, it's fun, it's gorgeous. So I hope you finally get to really enjoy that while you're in Colorado.
1: Cool. Let me write that down. Snow. Cool. I'll do some research into that before I go out.
0: (laughs) But that being said, this is not a weather podcast. This isn't even a Northerners making fun of Southerners podcast in regard to their lack of seasons. Nope. It's a movie podcast. And as I spoiled, but not really spoiled at the end of the last episode, we're talking about Creed, Uh, one of probably my favorite movies of all time. It is one movie that when you ask me, like, what my top ten are, I do kind of forget it in, like, sort of the back half of it. Uh, But, Chase, you had never seen it, and I have browbeaten you into seeing it. So, as we normally start the podcast, what were your kind of first impressions, first thoughts uh, as you sat down to watch what is now an afternoon
1: network cable uh, TV beloved film? So, going in... I knew that it was a film that had gotten really good reviews, like even more so than maybe the um, some of the later, certainly some of the later Rocky films, right? I wasn't around when the first Rocky came out. I'm told that it was a big deal as far as award shows went. Uh, I believe it got nominated for like Best Picture the year it came out, which was surprising to me because to me it's always been like, you know, the standard sports film. Like it's got the beats that a sports film is meant to have. The The player that we're focusing on is going to be down on their luck. They're going to overcome adversity and they're going to, you know, come out to, to win the day. Though, of course, Rocky uh, famously does not win, which is kind of the whole point in that first film, uh, which sets up for everything that comes out after. Uh, I can't say that I'm like a huge Rocky Guy, that I've watched all of the films all the way through, um, especially the later ones, Um, though I did do a quick read on Wikipedia, so hopefully I won't be coming out of nowhere with it. But I remember when Creed came out, one, Michael B. Jordan being involved had my interest because he's just a very talented actor. And two, I thought it was really smart to do a flip the script scenario here, right? Here's Rocky was the hero of the previous films obviously that's why he's got the title um but it's going up a- against this apollo creed guy who slowly over the course of the series transitions from being a pure villain into kind of this respected rival and now we're bringing it back full circle with a son that's gonna to come up and and seize his dad's title and I, I didn't know the full details around that until we got into it. I, I think the way they handled it was the most interesting direction that dealing with Apollo Creed's legacy could have gone into. But it was pretty much exactly the film that I thought it would be. Outside of, of you know, the minor details, right? You know he's going to be in the shadow of his dad for some reason and that that's a thing that he's going to have to overcome mentally. You know that Rocky is going to be hesitant to train him at first, but after seeing something or being reminded of someone from his past. He's going to feel the need to come together and and make that training montage happen, which is definitely going to embrace the old school of it because you know Rocky's going to go old school compared to all those new flashy guys. And, you know, that's fine. Uh, It turns out the formula works for a reason, Um, but it definitely was the movie that I expected it to be. The question is whether the execution was there, and obviously for you it was. I'm very excited to kind of share, um, to go into the the weeds here, because I think there are some things this does really well, and some things where I am very upset with this film, and I just want to talk. I just want to talk.
0: Listen, in the ring we don't talk, we throw down. so you better have some haymakers ready to go. Uh, With that being said, I also don't have a lot of experience with the Rocky franchise, and yes, Chase, uh, it did. It actually won Best Picture and Best Director. Uh, the, uh, the year it was nominated. So uh, that was the uh, two, uh, 49th Academy Awards in 1977. So it was. It was really well regarded. And in all honesty, I think I've watched one. I think I've watched two. And I may have watched Rocky three, But I also have not seen uh, any of the, the following ones. Uh, there was one as recent as 2006 called Rocky Balboa um interesting so for
1: them to go back to the well
0: <laughs> and not do it about rocky's son which is like come on that's like obvious is you go you know you go into his kid and his kid's a boxer instead we you know follow uh follow apollo creed uh, apollo creed's son which is definitely interesting and and michael b jordan coming out this is sort of the first emergence of Michael B. Jordan as a leading man on the silver screen he has a lot of um at this point he has a lot of tv kind of uh credentials and background he also comes out um in the second terrible fantastic four uh, uh attempt to relaunch as uh, as Johnny Storm which I'm very sorry but then off of this we then get him as Killmonger in Black Panther and sort of his career has now exploded um at that point Um, with that being said, I don't think there's anything wrong with a safe plot. I think anybody who goes into this and it's, hey, it's a Rocky film, you kind of have to follow the plot beats and sort of the... You have to follow what the original Rocky films do so that you can get the old heads to come in and watch it and go, yeah, that's a Rocky movie, but then also get a more modern audience to kind of expose them to that sort of sports origin story um, that, you know, they may not have gotten to because I wasn't alive in 1977. Um, With that being said, Chase, why don't we talk a little bit more about Michael B. Jordan and what you liked that he brought to this role playing Adonis Creed?
1: I mean, Michael B. Jordan is inherently a very charismatic uh, actor. He's someone who draws you in to every scene. There, There's an intensity to him, I think, that translates really well in a film like this. You get the sense of of someone who is always looking for an outlet to uh, take things out on. Uh, the moment that uh, that something is going to to swing against him, and that that kind of anger issues uh, that kind of permeate throughout the film give an uh, you know the sense of like, ooh, what's what's he going to do next? Is this the moment where he's not going to be able to to take all of that in, um, and and kind of uh, push back, and but but also having the like quieter moments, the trying to call his mom who won't answer his calls anymore, um, or you know going and unloading the truck for uh, Rocky uh, when trying to convince him to to train him, like that there is a, a determination that ends up being uh, clear uh, throughout him his character and the performance that he gives uh, that kind of gives a little bit more depth to those that kind of surface level that we get early on in the film. Uh, I, I think that he's very good at creating characters that can have that complicated aspect of their personality and making us inherently want to see them succeed, and want to see them get to the heart of what it is they're really fighting for. And I I think the perfect example of that is when he's in the ring, and I think it's after the 11th round, when he does the, uh, I have to prove that I'm not a mistake. And that is a line that the film has earned, because it has shown... Donnie struggling with his emotions struggling to accept who he is and his place in the world but also allows him in that moment to admit the one thing that has been foreshadowed and is clear if you understand the like you know kind of empathy and pathology of a character like that but had that never had been allowed to be said prior to the film it was always It was a vulnerability that the character earned because you saw over the course of the film walls steadily coming down, uh, even if he has that moment of of kind of putting them back up uh, that ends up, uh, you know, leading to some kind of act two drama as you are wont to have in a film like this. Uh, And I, I think that's just something Michael B. Jordan does really well, that kind of uh, revealing the emotions of a character through these minor moments that build up into something that becomes a lot more powerful as a result. He's very good at it. And I gotta give Sylvester Stallone some credit. I, I can see why the two of them pair off so well together because it's something that I think his character does well as well. It's the uh, It's the way that he processes and at one point rejects the cancer diagnosis and his ability to do something about it this kind of desire to be the strong one to stoically uh you know be able to to push back against uh the idea that he uh should have to make himself vulnerable and learning that the only way that he can connect to this person that he cares about and has grown to care about dearly and wants to connect with is to allow himself to make his own body as vulnerable as possible through the chemo process. I think that's really smart. I think the the two of them mirror each other very well in that regard. It's uh, one uh, a less charitable person could call it a little bit heavy-handed as a metaphor but you know what? Fuck cancer. I'm glad that uh, they were able to, to handle it in a way that was uh, respectful of that kind of dynamic um, and and made sure that the themes of the film tied into it beyond it just being a cheap plot point, which a much lesser film would have done. So I, I give both of them credit for that. Um, and it's one of the things that keeps the film engaging throughout is the way that the two of them can bounce off of each other and make that strength that each of them has individually, even more of one together.
0: There's a real authenticity of emotion between Michael B. Jordan and even Sylvester Stallone here. When you look at, you know, other things Michael B. Jordan has done, again, Killmonger and, and Black Panther, that he You believe as you're watching that he is feeling, truly feeling those emotions, that he is enacting those emotions, that he feels the things that he is trying to convey to you. And he gets a lot of really, really good lines across his films that, that punctuate things. You know, I'm not a mistake is great. The line at the end of Black Panther, where he's like, throw my body into the sea, like all of these things where every time he speaks, you believe him. And I feel the same way about Sylvester Stallone when you actually look at the Rocky series. I think a lot of us look at him and, you know, he talks kind of punch drunk and, you know, we know him as Rambo and that's not really hard acting. And he's like an action movie guy. But when you really go back and you look at the original Rocky and the second Rocky pairing him against Ivan Drago, it is very much the same. There is an authenticity to him. That he believes in all these things, that he truly, you know, is desperate and loves Adrian and is doing everything for her and is doing everything for his own pride. So that when you get to this point where these are two men that are desperately holding on to, you know, glory of past accomplishments that obviously adrian uh, adonis with his his father apollo that he is sort of reluctantly grabbing onto because the rest of his life feels kind of miserable that he's you know there's nothing else really for him and he so badly just kind of wants to be successful and he sees this you know potential lifeline and following in his father's footsteps and obviously rocky is He's an old retired boxer that nobody comes to him for advice or anything anymore. He's like, doesn't want anybody to come to him because all of these pieces of his past life are missing or or go missing um, as eventually um, Mickey dies over the course of the film. And again, he gets diagnosed with cancer, which is exactly how Adrian dies. So how does he come to terms with that? And it is very truly these sort of two broken, untethered ships finding comfort with each other and finding comfort in the challenge that the other person is having. And I think more so Rocky in terms of he gets to still be involved in boxing, but now here is someone who actually really cares about him and is really pushing for him to go and get better and is willing to, you know, hold him up and is willing to, you know, be his corner man as he's going through something that he can't beat with his fists. Um, I think that relationship really matters and really sort of builds on something because you don't immediately have a romantic relationship, but you do eventually have a romantic relationship for Donnie uh, in the form of uh, uh, Tessa Thompson's um, uh, Bianca, which I know, Chase, you have hinted at some things about this relationship, but what before we get there, before we get there, What does Tessa Thompson then bring to this sort of hyper-masculine kind of story uh, to help not just further push the plot along, but maybe create some more interesting kind of plot points on the outside?
1: Well, if we're talking about Bianca in isolation as a character, I I think Bianca has a, a really interesting place in how her own disability can color some of the things that Apollo and Rocky are going through. Um, you've, uh, or sorry, not Apollo and Rocky, Donnie and Rocky are going through. Um, you've got this uh, idea of someone who has a passion for something and a limited amount of time in which they can enjoy that passion, and a way in which uh, perhaps something that previously seemed like a frustration or a point of anger in in Donnie going down very mad that the music was blaring as loudly as it was, um, revealing itself to be part of this larger thing that she's going through. And there's something, I think, really important in, in humanizing that, in the ability to recognize that everyone has their battles and not all of them can be settled in the ring. You can't punch your way out of a progressive hearing disability. There's no amount of working out you can do that's going to give yourself the ability to hear when your body inevitably wears down on you. So to have a character that um, illustrates the fights that you can't win and serves as a, a point to Uh, help Donnie process the fight that he can't win, which is the fight against himself and the fight against his father, Um, especially the fight against his father. I I think she's a really important part of the plot from that regard. Uh, I also think it's important that she has this kind of strong, independent lifestyle that uh, allows her to exist as a fully developed character outside of Donnie. She has a career that she works for and works very hard on. And that, and, and when she makes the call to step away from Donnie because he lashes out against her headliner, li- it should have been a really great moment in which Donnie would realize that fighting his way out of everything doesn't work and when you do that and you don't learn how to pick your battles you lose something that could have had value to you um that would have been a really great moment in a different version of this script uh as it stands it it was a great moment for the moment until the film does what it does um can I just, can I, can I go in? Cause I'm not, this is going to be a tough one for me, buddy. Cause this is, it is hard to talk about her without talking about the, how badly the film fucks this up.
0: You know what? Go, go because I know I'm not going to be able to, to get you back on leash unless I do this. So go ahead, go, <laughs> go ahead and rip into this. Cause I, th- I think I kind of know where you're going with this and I'm not sure how far I accept your
1: premise. Domestic violence is a problem, Walter, and domestic violence has a lot of different factors uh, that are seen as risks. The CDC has a bunch of them. Uh, Donnie sure represents a lot of the individual risk factors when it comes to domestic violence, uh, when it comes to... uh, lack of nonviolent social problem-solving skills, general anger and hostility, poor behavioral control, uh, few friends being isolated from others, uh, emotional dependence and insecurity. There are so many warning signs that Bianca accurately points out And when she says, like, we need to do our own thing because you have a lot going on and so do I, it is a very healthy demonstration of emotional boundaries that could have been a really great thing for Donnie to learn from. To recognize that actions have consequences, that you can't just go into non-fighting sentences and beat up people who you think are jerks without any consequences for those actions, that you can just keep going through the same violent cycles that have defined his life both as a child when we see at the beginning him in the detention center throwing all those fights uh that we see with him in the boxing arena um early on and and you know when he's trying to get trained in hollywood and by, by the way, we also see at the weigh-in, right, that would have been a moment when they're doing that at press conference of him, you know, let's say Pretty Ricky shows that, uh, you know, he goes out and, and throws those, those emotional punches trying to talk him down, but Donnie takes the moral high ground because he's learned something from the experience that he had in which not being able to handle his emotions ended up costing something he cares about, at least then you would have had a reason for Bianca to be like, oh, he changed. Now I can be a part of this. But he doesn't. He doesn't grow. He doesn't change when it comes to handling his own violence and his violent impulses. He manages to channel that into a fight, which is the thing that boxers do. uh, But it does not actually show character growth on the point that Bianca very astutely pointed out was a huge fucking problem. And I'm really uncomfortable with that. I don't understand why he needed to have the girl. He lost the girl for a very good reason. And that could have been a thing to learn from. But no, she just shows up again anyway. So he doesn't have to learn that point. He doesn't actually have to change the fact that whenever it is someone outside of his immediate periphery who angers him slightly, he is still a violent jerk. And I understand that it's hard to see him as a jerk because the film wants us to empathize with him so much. But if you are not Rocky Balboa or Bianca, he is a bad person to pretty much everybody else. Right? That's Okay, I'm being maybe too harsh there because there are some people at the gym that he works with, but he does... With Amir early on, uh, pick unnecessary fights with until Rocky calms him down. It's just the guy he is. And it made that whole relationship very uncomfortable to me. Because he doesn't actually go through the change that would be needed to narratively justify why she came back without the answer being, it's fine that he is a violent individual outside of the ring which is ultimately the message that the film sends, because he never has to fix that part at any point in this film. And it's not just with him, right? Pretty Ricky Conlin is going to jail for seven years. It's the whole reason behind why this fight is happening the way that it is. He's going to go to jail for a long time because he's a violent asshole outside of the ring. Multiple characters in this film have significant violence issues in their private lives. And boxing, that's a huge problem, right? That's a huge problem in the MMA. This is a systemic issue that the film rightfully acknowledges and has portrayed as a core part of these characters and their character flaws, and then just whiffs, just moves on because they want the girl by his side for the ring fight. Because they don't actually want to have a conversation about how domestic abuse within the wrestling and mixed martial arts and those kinds of violent sports communities is a rampant problem that would actually need to be. We can make a reference to it because that puts the characters in a framework that we recognize because it keeps happening in our society. But we don't have to fix it. We just acknowledge it and move on. And that's a huge missed opportunity to me. Uh, and it's one that I did feel uncomfortable with. I really wish that they had shown at any point Donnie making an actual stride on that point to at least give a little bit of cover that he's not going to keep being that guy. And maybe he's not in Creed 2, and maybe they just dropped this point, which I'm not sure would be better, but at least would be less uncomfortable. This made me uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable that in the premise the film had that he deserves the the girl that he crushes on without having to do the things that would win the girl back. I hate that. I hated that about this film.
0: And I, I agree. And I would like to say it's because it eventually, you know, goes um, someplace else in the, in the second movie that these flaws are sort of fixed in some way. I don't know if I can accurately say that with any level of truthfulness. And it is incredibly weird because that is very counterintuitive to everything about the Rocky-Adrian relationship in the original films. Is that Rocky is almost never violent towards her, at least in Rocky 1. I really don't remember Rocky 2 off the top of my head because Rocky 2, he is just so overcome with patriotic fervor that he has to defeat Ivan Drago. Like, that <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, that I feel like it does kind of get in the way sometimes of their relationship. Like, she doesn't want him to die fighting against this, like, Russian super soldier. But we're not talking about Rocky 1 and 2. And it is, it's not great. When you look back at it a second, third, fourth time, you don't understand why Bianca stays with him. Um, really in any way, shape, or form other than I guess maybe there are some of those like I'm sorry moments where he does something shitty and then he has to like make up for it. But that's part of the like the domestic violence cycle of like you do something bad, you apologize for it. You do something bad, you apologize for it until either it's so bad that the person leaves or someone dies. Um, so I can understand a the criticism there. I really wish I had a counterpoint of like, well, it's not really all that important, but then like it becomes their relationship becomes super super important in Creed 2 and the fact that he's kind of this shitty partner is a very core aspect of that movie is something that is very centralized and spoiler alert, I'm not sure it really gets resolved at the end of that movie either I don't know if he's (laughs) that much better of a person at the end of Creed
1: 2. Great, awesome (laughs) but
0: (laughs) but you sort of get caught up in in the mythos of it and in the myth making of creating this you know second creed character and yeah like i I, upon watching it again i was like huh that's a little weird yeah he's kind of a dick okay but like oh he's great at boxing like oh whatever and that is very kind of like tantamount not just to boxing but how we treat Sports figures in general. Mm-hmm. Deshaun Watson is getting paid like $250 million guaranteed by the Cleveland Browns because they're just ignoring the fact that he at very bare minimum sexually harassed like 30 masseuses. Mm-hmm. Um, Tyree kill was involved in domestic violence issues in college and even in his first couple of years in the league in Kansas City and he's uh, multi, you know, is going to make probably almost $200 million over the course of his career and was traded and signed to a massive extension by Miami. We have the Ray Rice thing where granted, he kind of, he came back but didn't do much because I think he was kind of at the end of his career, but like he still was given another chance and you see this across sports kind of wholesale and the only time we really are super critical and super we will like well, get them the fuck out of here is once they're past their prime and they're like retired and we hear shit like that then we're like okay well cool we'll throw him yeah throw him to the wolves get rid of him that shows we're doing something about domestic violence and sports um it is fascinating you bring up the comparison to to real life boxing and mma and all those things because you know conor mcgregor I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not gonna even attempt to like say that maybe he's done something. But like you know that dude is an asshole. You know he is a terrible fucking human being that just probably like you know doesn't tip people and just like swaggers around L.A. whenever he wants and you know blows through stoplights and all that stuff. So that is. I, he was I arrested
1: like- in uh, April for dangerous driving. So that's fun. Um, yeah, and I
0: mean, then there was the whole thing with him and um and, and Khabib with their fight, where like you know somebody from McGregor's crew threw a, a barrier at his bu- at Khabib's bus, and there was all that Islamophobia, and yeah. But Chase, what else do you know about boxing? And did this movie teach you anything? <laughs>
1: I mean, look, as far as the boxing goes, I, I, I will go back to giving the film credit. I thought they did a really good job of authentically representing the sport and in, in multiple different facets. I, I loved the cut that they had for the uh, fight when it was originally going to be between pretty Ricky uh, Conlon and uh, Leon uh, Leo the Lion Sperino. Spir- uh, That was a great example of exactly how those promos work. As someone who has had to uh, help make videos promoting certain things around fights, uh, that's how those videos are always made. The the way they were cut, uh, the way they were structured, the tone, the music, all of that, one-to-one how HBO sells a fight like that. Uh, The production in general throughout uh, I think does a really good job of highlighting um, you know, different weight classes, the idea of pound for pound boxers, um, the like win loss record being accentuated, the way that you have the underground rings in, in less reputable places um, followed up by these larger, uh, more established events and, and the differences therein. The way that we talk about things on sports media, like the PTI segment, where he talks, they they argue about whether or not Creed's infidelity uh, affects Donnie in some way, or that it should reduce Apollo's legacy. Like that's a really interesting thing that absolutely would be a conversation we would see on television. Um, so I I do think that that side of it is done well. I I think that side of you know the the different rounds and and how things are scored and and the. Uh, The reality of it, you know, the uh, the willingness to embrace the bloody aspects of it, Um, you know, he bleeds just like me is a great line, both because it is uh, immediately uh, humanizing for both the hero and the villain of the scene, but also because when the when we as an audience see that blood, it becomes real for us as well. And and the film does a good job of picking its moments To embrace that side of it Um, and to embrace, by the way, uh, the much shadier aspect of it of in the 11th round when his eye is literally shown sut, and the medic gives him exactly how many fingers that he's holding up by tapping him on the back of the neck so that he can go back into the fight, despite the fact that he absolutely should not be back in that fight. That sure is realistic to how those fights tend to go. To how you know anyone who's been an NFL fan who's seen how we handle the concussion protocol has seen that moment play out. Um, so I, I think all of that's done really, really well. Um, I will say though, hey uh, Rocky, um, you made a big point earlier in the film about uh, you know how much you wish you'd stop to the fight before it got dangerous, and you accurately point out in the eleventh round that. This is a moment in which you should stop the fight because it's super dangerous. And Donnie doesn't say anything that Apollo didn't say. And you agreed that it was a mistake last time, but I guess it's fine this time because it would be pretty anticlimactic if you ended the film in the 11th round instead of letting him go back in there. So I don't know, just feels like a weird uh, choice to emphasize so much about how you think it's a bad idea and how that could be a character growth moment for Rocky and then drop it because that's not how the film's going to work. But hey, at least it was accurate. That is that is the negligence that gets people killed in the ring, and they do do it all the time in order to have a better fight. So points for accuracy, I guess.
0: Well, listen, man, sometimes you need to get through the adversity, you know, and you just got to gotta fight, you got to take the punch, you got to keep going, you know? But,
1: but then say <laughs> that you don't regret having Apollo go out there. Then say... As much as I wish my friend was still here, he made a choice, and I respected that choice. And I still respect that choice. That's how you can play that, right? If that's the argument, do that. Why do you have all these moments of, like, I should have stopped him. I shouldn't have let him make that choice. And then be like, ah, let him make the choice again.
0: Like, why? Hey, Chase, uh, you'll be surprised to know that same thing happens in Creed Two. And guess what? What? Ah, they don't make the right choice then either. <laughs> <laughs> great. Awesome, fun. Uh, I get realistic. Say, yeah, this this I think it's a, a very very realistic, especially even with like modern boxing, which I mean you'd kind of be surprised to find out modern boxing really isn't um great it's kind of confusing understanding all the different like belts and where they're coming from and undisputed heavyweight and like the eight different belts that they're all carrying at once. And you're like, okay, well, if he wins, he gets seven of those belts, not the eighth one because that promoter wouldn't sign off on this. And and as you get into uh, uh, Creed uh, two and you sort of see some more of the inner workings and the politicking and all that stuff behind the scenes of how boxing works, that's legit how it works. Promoters just like go up to boxers and they're like, that's a nice belt you have there. Uh, you wanna you wanna put it on the line against this guy over here? I'll give you like twenty percent of the gate or something, you know, ridiculous. Um, and I like I like more the outside of the ring stuff, where it's all the training, it's all the different kind of philosophy behind it. Obviously, you have him when he is in LA uh, at at the actual like boxing academy with Little Duke, and he's running him through things, and you know, you realize that Donnie doesn't have the the patience to do the more traditional, like, you're going to go through a boot camp. You're going to go through a school. You're going to learn this and that. And it's all very kind of technical and um, and and, and theoret- theoretical and just, like, you do this and this and this and this. And it kind of all flows together. It's, like, school. And then he's, like, no, Rocky trained me. And Rocky's, like, all right, catch that chicken. <laughs> like, go catch a chicken. And he's like, wait, why am I doing this? He's like, well, that's that's what Mickey had me do. And Rocky just is going off of like, I don't know. I want a bunch of fights doing some of this wild and crazy shit. Like, why don't you fucking try it? Hey, I'm going to attach a rope to you and you're going to run behind my car. <laughs> like, <laughs> keep up. <laughs> like, that's fucking wild. But it worked. It worked for him. That's what he knows. That's how it's going to go. I'm pretty sure nobody in modern boxing does any of that wild stuff i think a lot of that was um for theater was you know for the uh for the art and because it's hilarious to like send this kid running around trying to catch a chicken um outside of that outside of the boxing stuff was there anything any other scene or any other moment that you know stuck out to you you know as particularly grounded and particularly kind of important to it or at the end of the day is this like You watch this because it's a boxing movie, so you're watching it for the incredible boxing sequences.
1: I will say, I think if you drop the stuff that I think gets fumbled on the Bianca storyline and focus purely on the Donnie-Rocky duo and the scene when uh, Donnie is in jail and Rocky comes to visit him, And Donnie is trying to push him away. And Rocky's like, I'm not leaving until I say my piece, and then I'll get out. And he mentions the idea of of fighting against yourself and fighting against a ghost that he can't win against. I think that part of the story is when this film is at its best. Donnie is a character that is ultimately unable to fight back against the thing that bothers him most, which is not just... The legacy of his father, not just the absence of his father, but in how both of those things are how he is forced in his own mind to define himself and his desperation to avoid that fact and hide from that fact instead of confronting that and overcoming that. I think that that's the angle that is the emotional core of this film. And it's the best part of the film. It's the part that rings the most true for this film. You know, whether it's, you know, Pretty Ricky trying to condense him into that and paint him as the pretty boy that he absolutely wasn't. Uh, Whether it is the unveiling of his true identity to the press in what I imagine was spite for having lost uh, that fight um, when uh, when he goes up against uh Leo, um, I I think there's a lot of really interesting moments there that I I think are well done, and I I think it speaks to uh Ryan Coogler's screenplay and also you know Sylvester Stallone who I didn't realize going into this uh, had actually written the Rocky films. To um, someone who seems to have a very intimate understanding of a lot of these dynamics uh, in a way that rings true here. Um, and, and, and to do so while technically embracing the other half of your father's legacy in seeking out a guy like Rocky, I, I just think it's very compelling. It's, it's the thing I'm sure when people think about why they love this film that core is why. Like, yeah, the boxing scenes are well executed. They're good action moments, and they do a good job of holding the tension throughout. The soundtrack of this film is fire. Great soundtrack. A F- fantastic soundtrack. Really sets the atmosphere well throughout for everything that it's trying to be. But it is how well Michael B. Jordan and Sylvester Stallone face each other and are forced to help each other confront the thing that they do not feel that they can, um, that I think makes this film worth watching. Um, I I wish, my frustrations with the other aspects of it are frustrations because I believe that there is a better version of this film that could have been here if they'd been willing to go a little bit outside of the film's comfort zone to really take on something that needs to be taken on with much more um, focus and and a harsher look, perhaps. Uh, because, as you mentioned accurately, the media often doesn't if it means that the talented uh, sports ball player can keep on doing their thing, you know? Um, but that doesn't change that what the core of this film is trying to be is brilliantly executed and it deserves a lot of credit for that.
0: I truly believe one, I think that the boxing scenes that they do are are fantastic. And the fact that Michael B. Jordan does most of it, the work himself and really like learned how to box and, and be able to actually execute a lot of what they wanted to do in the ring speaks a lot just to the dedication to what they were trying to accomplish with this being a boxing movie. But beyond that, I think the best parts of this film are when it's just Stallone and Jordan by themselves, where there's nothing else going on. I think the, um, the montages, the training montages, and even the, um, the cancer, um, Treatment montage that's kind of there in that that beginning of the third act that really pushes us towards the end, I think are brilliantly done and just show the sort of care and attentiveness that they both have for each other and sort of building to this relationship that, you know. Stallone, Rocky, very is like, I don't want to have anything to do with this. He's trying to, like, push him away at the beginning of the film. And it's sort of Donnie's persistence. It's like, nah, you're going to train me, bro. Like, come on, like, come on, come on, come on. Do this, do this, do this, please. And uh I think from there, it builds a lot to this sort of, Rocky's just trying to throw whatever bullshit he can at this kid to make him go away and be like, oh, this guy doesn't do anything. And Donnie's like... Eating it all up, being like, well, this is what a winner does. Like, hell, I'll fucking chase a chicken. Who cares? It's dumb, but whatever. He's having me do it for some reason. And building to a point where it's, you know, introducing him to Bianca, where it's, you know, t- Donnie taking care of Rocky while he's throwing up after his chemo, you know, whether it's doing the the stare, you know, even at the end, them walking up the steps together is this sort of like beautiful kind of endpoint and, and really shows that the film at its core, despite it being about boxing, despite that there's these you know discussions of relationships between himself and Apollo himself and Bianca himself and um, you know the the wife of Apollo who like adopts him, Marianne, all of these things, ultimately it's a story about Apollo Creed's son reaching out to one of his dad's best friends to sort of build that missing relationship that he has with his father it is something that is further touched on in uh, creed 2 which i know i've kind of brought it up a few times i'm guessing we're not going to talk about creed 2 on this podcast because unfortunately it, it is pretty similar to creed 1 Uh, Obviously, we're talking about, uh, you know, uh, interactions with Ivan Drago and Ivan Drago's son. Um, But, you know, I don't think there's anything we can really talk about in that film that's anything different from this film. Which some people might say, that doesn't sound like a good thing. Uh, But I think it's also a great film. So if you watched Creed 1, I would highly recommend watching Creed 2. I just don't think we're necessarily going to talk about it on the show. Uh, Chase, with that being said... What were your final thoughts? You know, was the was sort of this domestic violence aspect of it enough of a turnoff? And I that feels weird to say it, but was it enough of kind of a a, a, a sticking point to you that you wouldn't want to watch Creed two? If I said Creed two was a lot more of this, uh, and potentially even Creed three, or do you think it's kind of the rest of it holds up enough where you're like, yeah, I kind of want to see where the story goes?
1: I I struggle, man. I really do. Because I want to like this film a lot more than I think I do at the end of the day. The pieces are there. The performances are there. The things that it's not... It's, it's hard to punish a film for, being something that it, for not being something it could be, right? Because that's not the product that is meant to be evaluated. That is, you know, anything could be a better version of itself because nothing is inherently perfect. So it's a standard that is an unfair one to place upon films like this. And this is a film that takes some big swings and the whiffs need to be put in the stat block. I don't think it's a strikeout. I'm giving this a seven out of 10. I would recommend it to people who like this kind of thing. I think the things that work about it outnumber the things that don't. And I think that if you are someone who likes the Rocky films, who likes boxing films, who likes sports films, you're going to find all of the things that you like about those films and the complications that hit me might not be nearly as much of a thing for you. Um, that said, for me, if I look at the kinds of films that I'm typically drawn to nowadays, this is a film with a pretty clear formula. You know exactly what it's going to be within 10 minutes of the film starting. There are other plot points we didn't talk about that don't really make a ton of sense. Like, why is no one in Hollywood willing to train him? There's absolutely no reason that the guy who he goes to at first in that training facility should be like, no one in this town is going to train you. Why? Why? Why, why would that be a thing? Well, we need Rocky. We need him to go to Rocky in Philadelphia. Oh, OK. There's a lot of that. There are a lot of little things there that are just things we accept about the sports movie genre in general, which is kind of why I don't watch sports movies like these are flaws that you're not going to. I, I don't think that the film does enough to supersede the genre film it's trying to be. It's a good genre film, despite its flaws. It's just, it could have been more than that. It's not, so it's a 7 out of 10.
0: I don't think it wanted to be more than that. I, I truly think that they wanted to tell a modern version of the Rocky story. I think as a, you know, you bring up it's a genre film, like, the Rocky film is its own genre of sports movie. Um, this sort of very dedicated, this one person, you know, following one person through the, the trials and tribulations of them, you know, making it into the sport that they're pursuing. I think that this is a very different style of sports film than, say, something like Miracle or Hoosiers or things like that because it is so focused on an individual. And it, it wrote the genre. Any type of film you write is going to be compared to Rocky. And I don't think that they were trying to beat it. One... Sylvester Stallone's a producer on it, so I'm pretty sure he's like, no, 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 like I want the original to be the best. (laughs) But, not saying that he sabotaged it, but I think if you asked him, he's like, "No, no, no, Rocky's the original, it's the greatest, it's the best, you know, why are you trying to fix something that isn't broken? But I do think that the, the fact that it's not Rocky's son is enough of a subversion to me that makes it interesting. Despite the fact that it is, you know, the plot is very straightforward, kind of what you expect and I think this is a matter of taking a a decent story, right? A decent plot, decent writing, and the, the actors elevate. It. That Michael B. Jordan and Sylvester Stallone, with their performances, elevate it to a position where you can go, you know, yeah, it's a Rocky movie, but like the Creed series, like there's a reason there's three movies coming out of this. It's not because like, hey, we made a, a Rocky movie, parallel sequel thing and of course we're gonna make three movies out of it because we made like eight out of a rocky like this is more of a it was good enough to stand on its own and I think if you had taken you know taken Rocky away from it and you still told the same story but it was different names and not in the rocky universe but it was a similar kind of story I think it stands up well enough on its own you know I I'm gonna give it an an eight out of ten. Um, I love this movie. I think it's great. I, again, was flabbergasted when Chase was like, I've never seen Creed before. Um, I think the fact that this really is kind of our first exposure to Michael B. Jordan being a leading man and the fact that he has taken that football and fucking like run over a train like run over people like a train is just incredible. I think the fact that we really again elevated Brian Kugler, the director who hey, we barely talked about him. I think he did a fucking bang up job on this thing.
1: Fantastic um, that, director.
0: That, that that was elevated and they've now sort of paired together with each other, with each other and we got, you know, Black Panther series. Um I'm very intrigued to see what Michael B. Jordan does as the director of Creed 3. And again, looking at the trailer from it, it does seem like the plot is going to be pretty straightforward. That sort of common, like a single moment in time happens to two people and their divergent paths, the sort of Prince and the Pauper type story. Um, I don't think we're going to get anything like groundbreaking out of it. But it'll be interesting to see what what Jordan does as a director for it and if it can hold up to sort of the other two movies or even elevate it to a point where it's actually in sort of the Rocky kind of pantheon. And we no longer call these Rocky movies, but like the Rocky series, you know, the Rocky style of movie and the Rocky Creed style of movie. So, I love this movie. I'm honestly considering, like, when we're done here, throwing on Creed 2 and just rewatching it, because I, I personally think Creed 2 is a little bit better, but if your hang-ups with the domestic violence exists for Creed 1, I think there's a bit more of that in Creed 2. There is definitely a, like, him, not physically lashing out, but definitely lashing out about some things to Bianca in that one, so it might make you feel Just as uncomfortable as this. Uh, But hopefully, this podcast has not made you feel uncomfortable. Hopefully, (laughs) we have convinced you to give a decent movie a watch. I mean, it's on like TNT and TBS on the weekend, like during the afternoon, like multiple times. It's just turned into one of those movies. Uh, And that's been a podcast. Uh, Chase, where can the good folks at home find you on the internet? Uh, you
1: can find me at Chase Wasson on Twitter. You can find the podcast at Rough Drafts Pod. Um, obviously, uh, every week that we are not doing this, we are releasing the Steam Cleaners podcast. So hopefully, you're enjoying our gaming pod as well, where we talk about two different games uh, every week. Um, but of course, if you're happy just doing the Final Cut pod, we do have separate, th- uh, separate. Uh, I wanted to say threads there, but it's feeds. The word is feed that I'm looking for. Uh, Either way, you can subscribe separately if you'd like. uh, And uh, let us know what you think. Let me know if I'm being uh, too mean uh, to this film, uh, because I do tend uh, to lean on that way. Or let us know if uh, you're super excited to see uh, other Ryan Coogler things, because it turns out he just released a film pretty recently that a lot of people are a lot more positive about than I was expecting. So we'll have to look into that one. I think Walter,
0: I really didn't think it would only take two Marvel movies for you to be like, you know what, Walter, let's do another Marvel movie. That's kind of incredible to me. I thought it was going to be like a year until you were like finally ready to be heard again by Marvel. So we'll talk about it. But as always, you guys can find me at c underscore LOL. Uh, now I guess we have to have a discussion because if we're not going to talk about Black Panther 2 in two weeks, there is another sort of like hyper-masculine style of, of character, you know, not a boxer, but someone else that likes to run around in shorts and perhaps nothing uh, on their chest, fighting and pillaging. Perhaps we'll talk about that in two weeks instead. And until then, goodbye, Internet.